most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, January 16th, 2023, the 726th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast a couple days later for free on a variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day to everyone out there. The Democrats celebrated over the weekend by unveiling one of the worst sculptures in all of human history by sending Joe Biden to Dr. King's church where he delivered a sermon mostly filled with lies about how he was a civil rights leader and activist, and how he used to basically attend a black church every day, according to Joe Biden. Now, none of that is true, and I have no idea where Joe Biden got the idea that lying to large crowds of black people at church in service of his own political power and political agenda was a good idea, but it's possible that he learned it from the man who was his political mentor for decades, Robert Byrd, who was a former Klan leader. Maybe that's it. But that wasn't the end of the Democrat celebrations. Adam Schiff got out there and shared a decontextualized video of what is described as racial violence by police against an unarmed black man. Of course, that's not exactly the whole story. The man's name is Keenan Anderson. They are portraying this as the cops tackling the guy and tasing him to death. The real story, and this is from Greg Price on Friday afternoon, the BLM founder's cousin, Keenan Anderson, caused an accident while on drugs after trying to steal a car. The cop was cool with him and said he'd get him water. Then he ran into traffic and resisted. They tased him and he died of cardiac arrest four hours later. 
Now, dying from cardiac arrest, I'm told, only happens because of long COVID. So maybe they should examine that as the cause. Now, the World Economic Forum begins its annual conference today in Davos, Switzerland. And notably absent from the event will be George Soros, who wrote on Twitter last week, due to an unavoidable scheduling conflict, regrettably, I cannot attend the WEF annual meeting in Davos this year as I have in past years. I plan to deliver a speech in Munich on the eve of the Munich Security Conference. Details to come. And we can be certain that that speech will be absolutely inspiring. Now, there was a report over the weekend that Klaus Schwab was having some sort of health crisis and would not be able to attend the World Economic Forum. But it seems that he is, in fact, there and is prepared to respond to the poly crisis. This video from 2020 has made its rounds over the weekend on Twitter. Klaus Schwab is discussing that we might have a cyber pandemic that would be even worse than a regular pandemic. Elon Musk actually responded to a post of part of this video over the weekend and said the movie essentially writes itself. We all know, but still pay insufficient attention to the frightening scenario of a comprehensive cyber attack, which would bring to a complete halt to the power supply, transportation, hospital services, our society as a whole. The COVID-19 crisis would be seen in this respect as a small disturbance in comparison to a major cyber attack. To use the COVID-19 crisis as a timely opportunity to reflect on the lessons the cybersecurity community can draw and improve our impreparedness for a potential cyber pandemic. So something to look forward to. Now, for this week's events, they have 5,000 armed security guarding Davos and the World Economic Forum. That kind of sounds like a lot. What are they expecting? What are they anticipating to need that much security? Maybe it's just all there so that the world knows how important the people attending the World Economic Forum really are. These are all of the major world and corporate leaders all gathered together in one place. They would never want to be vulnerable. Not that anyone would ever want to hurt these great and wonderful leaders, the people who are truly in every way better than us. Or perhaps they're just there like last year to harass reporters and make sure that people cannot report about what's actually going on there. Now, naturally, all of these leaders around the world flew in on their private jets, which have no environmental impact, you have to understand, because these people need to meet together in order to save the earth from the sun. So their carbon emissions don't count because they're helping Whereas your much smaller carbon emissions do count because you're not helping. And then there's this from over the weekend. This is ABC News. As Davos opens, Oxfam urges windfall tax on food companies. And this is the right call, of course, because food prices are so high 
due to food companies price gouging and not because of the terrible, terrible policies implemented as part of the global agenda. Food companies making big profits as inflation has surged should face windfall taxes to help cut global inequality. Anti-poverty group Oxfam said Monday as the World Economic Forum's annual meeting gets underway. That's one of the ideas in a report by Oxfam International, which has sought for a decade to highlight inequality at the conclave of political and business elites in the Swiss ski resort of Davos. The report, which aims to provoke discussions on panels featuring corporate and government leaders this week, said the world has been beset with simultaneous crises, including climate change, the surging cost of living, Russia's war in Ukraine and the COVID-19 pandemic. Yet the world's richest have gotten richer and corporate profits are surging. Oh, the world's richest have gotten richer and they're all going to go to Davos to talk about how that's not good. And to fix this problem, they're going to tax other people more. Over the past two years, the world's super rich 1% have gained nearly twice as much wealth as the remaining 99% combined, Oxfam said. Meanwhile, at least 1.7 billion workers live in countries where inflation is outpacing their wage growth, even as billionaire fortunes are rising by $2.7 billion a day. To combat these problems, Oxfam urged higher taxes on the rich through a combination of measures, including one-time solidarity taxes and raising minimum rates for the wealthiest. The group noted that billionaire Tesla CEO Elon Musk's true tax rate from 2014 to 2018 was just over 3%. See that? Elon Musk is the bad guy and the food companies are the bad guys. Who's not the bad guy? These people who are going to fix it for everyone by taxing the people they choose to tax, or at least just once out of solidarity. And if the program's not clear, here's how it goes. They mess up a system to participate in that system costs more than it ever has before. Then they apply it to all of the systems, the things you need to keep yourself fed and housed and employed and being able to get to work. And then once you're plenty angry at that, they tell you it's not our fault. It's actually the fault of the people who make all those things that you need. They're actually just gouging you on the prices. And so therefore we need to take their money away from them. And through doing that, it's got to get better for you, I, th I, th I think, right? So just to go through this again, it's a little hard to understand, right? They mess up a system. Everything costs you more. You need those things. So you start running out of money by paying more for absolutely everything. You get a little bit upset about it. And then they tell you it's someone else's fault other than theirs and what they need to do to fix this problem for you while in the process of saving the planet from the sun, of course, they need to take the money away from those people. And eventually that is going to have to make your life better in some way, or at least someone's life must be better in some way. And 
At that point, we're going to call that equality. We have produced equality for someone, and I'm sorry it wasn't you, and I'm sorry that we can't just take the money away from the rich people and actually just make everything equal. Not that I'm saying that's a good idea. That's a terrible idea. But the point is, you care about equality. We are intent on creating equality. So I'm sorry about how much less money you have. And now you're happy because the global elites have fixed another problem for you simply by causing it and then profiting from it and then not really fixing it, but claiming to fix it for someone theoretically. Now, if you're still one of the people that thinks that the global communist agenda is somehow a conspiracy theory and that the World Economic Forum isn't actually coordinating all of this in any way, I'd encourage you to actually spend some time listening to some of the World Economic Forum conference. You can learn a lot about what these people actually intend to do, and you will see really quickly that there is nothing conspiratorial in talking about these people. They are partners with governments. They have infiltrated governments. They are partners with the most massive transnational corporations in the world, corporations who at this point, sadly, we end up depending on for many of the things we do if you participate in a relatively mainstream American lifestyle. But it's not just the World Economic Forum, and it's not just the global governing bodies as we currently see them. They want more global governing bodies. And last week, the fake president of the United States, Joe Biden, met with Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who is absolutely and undoubtedly the son of Fidel Castro and not Pierre Trudeau and the Mexican president, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. That meeting produced what is being called the Declaration of North American DNA by the illegitimate White House. This is from whitehouse.gov. And in the URL, it literally says Declaration of North America DNA. They're talking about a North American Union, and they are, for some reason, introducing the concept of North American DNA. Here is the declaration. Today, President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, President Joseph R. Biden, and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau met in Mexico City for the 10th North American Leaders Summit. The leaders are determined to fortify our region's security, prosperity, sustainability, and inclusiveness through commitments across six pillars, diversity, equity, and inclusion, climate change, and the environment, competitiveness, migration and development, health, and regional security. North America shares a unique history and culture that emphasizes innovation, equitable development, and mutually beneficial trade to create inclusive economic opportunities for the benefit of our people. We are not just neighbors and partners. Our people share bonds of family and friendship and value above all else, freedom, justice, human rights, equality, and democracy. This is the North American DNA, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Diversity, equity, and inclusion is foundational to the strength, vibrancy, 
and resilience of our countries. We focus on providing marginalized communities opportunities for their full, equal, and meaningful participation in our democracies and economies. We just, you know, can't have free and fair elections where their votes all actually count for one vote for each citizen. We can't do something like that, but otherwise meaningful participation in our democracy, which means that they can say anything they want if it's in favor of our regime and absolutely nothing at all. If it is not in favor of our regime, we will censor them even in violation of our constitution and in violation of human rights and full and equal. What, what do those things mean? What is strength and vibrancy and resilience? What do any of those things mean? Oh, who knows, but we're going to provide them all for you just by globalizing a bit more based on our North American DNA. To advance these objectives, President Lopez Obrador, President Biden and Prime Minister Trudeau reiterated their joint commitment to protect civil rights, promote racial justice, expand protections for LGBTQI plus individuals and deliver more equitable outcomes to all. Why don't they have the A there? Why don't they have the other letters? Why are they trying to be exclusive in their inclusivity? In partnership with indigenous peoples, we will promote innovative and sustainable solutions that honor traditional knowledge, foster indigenous led growth and drive job creation, but only for people who accept an mRNA vaccine. That's not a vaccine. We will continue our cooperation to build societies where indigenous women and girls can live, learn and lead without fear through the Trilateral Working Group on Violence Against Indigenous Women and Girls. Indigenous women from all three countries will convene in the coming weeks to facilitate discussions about priorities and best practices, including in areas of political, economic, and social development. The three countries also reaffirm our commitment to gender equality and empowerment of all women and girls in all their diversity by aiming to improve financial and political support for women's and girls' rights. You got it? They're going to have meetings and take more money. And at that point, they will fix everything for all women and girls, especially indigenous women and girls, but also LGBTQIA plus women and girls or no a sorry. So you get some meetings, you get some money and that will eliminate inequality and fix racial justice. This is priority number one for people with North American DNA. Climate change and the environment. Mexico, the United States, and Canada recognize the critical nature of taking rapid and coordinated measures to tackle the climate crisis and respond to its consequences. This includes achieving our respective 2030 nationally determined contributions under the Paris Agreement and working together and with other countries to keep a 1.5 degree Celsius temperature limit within reach. To promote buy-in, for ambitious cuts to emissions, we will come together to align approaches on estimating the social cost of greenhouse gas emissions. So they're just going to make 
all of that stuff up. We have to be on the 2030 agenda with the rest of the nations of the world. But we're choosing to do it independently, of course, as a democratic nation empowered, of course, by its people who definitely elected all of the people making these decisions in free and fair elections. And there was absolutely no fraud, absolutely no fraud, baseless claims, no evidence, safest and most secure election in history. We will continue to implement and build on commitments from the 2021 North American Leaders Summit on climate mitigation, adaptation, and resilience, while renewing our focus on reducing methane emissions from all sources with a new focus on waste methane. We will explore standards to develop hydrogen as a regional source of clean energy. We will move swiftly to accelerate the energy transition by deploying clean energy solutions, increasing the production and adoption of zero emission vehicles in North America and transitioning to cleaner fuels. In partnership with indigenous peoples, we reiterate our pledge to protect biodiversity, to work toward ending deforestation and doing our part to conserve 30% of the world's land and waters by 2030. Isn't that great? It's not America first. It's not even America last. It's just America not at all. We are now a region and we need to do what's best for the region. And in that way, we will save the earth from the sun. All we have to do is get everybody to do the exact same things. And if they won't do them on their own, we'll simply force them. Competitiveness. We seek to deepen our regional capacity to attract high-quality investment, spur innovation, and strengthen the resilience of our economies, recognizing the benefits brought by the United States-Mexico-Canada agreement to boost regional competitiveness. The three countries will seek to forge stronger regional supply chains, as well as promote targeted investment in key industries of the future, such as semiconductors and electric vehicle batteries, which will be critical to advance electric vehicle development and infrastructure. We will convene public-private dialogues and map out supply chains to address common challenges and opportunities. Critical minerals are an essential component to accelerating North America's clean energy transition. Each country will review and map out existing and potential reserves of critical mineral resources in the region while taking care of the environment, respecting local communities, and adhering to high ethical standards, which means that they're not going to use slave labor to extract these minerals from the ground the way that they already are doing in Africa, and they definitely will do it here too. To support innovation, job creation, and workforce deployment, the three governments commit to working with the private sector, civil society, labor, and academia across North America to foster high-tech entrepreneurship, promote small and medium-sized enterprises, and strengthen technical education. We will also consider trilateral approaches to promote sustainable, inclusive jobs and develop the workforce to meet our climate commitments. In that one sentence, they incorporate all the problems once again, just like in the poly crisis model we saw on Friday. Everything is everything else. Therefore, we must do all of it in order to fix anything. And it's not just for one country. It's not just for one region. It's the entire world doing all of the same things all of the time across all of these different verticals, because the truth is they're not actually verticals. They're all interconnected in the poly crisis model. And therefore we must do 
absolutely all of it in order to fix any of it. So to do that, we're going to need everyone's participation either through compliance or don't make us, don't make us, but we will do it. Don't make us. We will do it though. Through force, migration and development. Today marks the six month anniversary of the Los Angeles Declaration on Migration and Protection, a bold new framework for regional responsibility sharing that 21 leaders endorsed on the margins of the Ninth Summit of the Americas. The three countries of North America each made ambitious commitments under the Los Angeles Declaration, including working together to advance labor mobility in North America, particularly regarding regular pathways, and have been delivering on these commitments. Labor mobility in North America. That means they can just move people around wherever they need them as long as they're called workers. And that sounds almost just like what they're doing at the southern border in that slave trade they're running. Since June, Mexico, the United States, and Canada have collectively welcomed record numbers of migrants and refugees from the Western Hemisphere under new and expanded labor and humanitarian programs. That doesn't sound like they think it's a border crisis. It sounds like they're saying the system is working just fine. And indeed, to them it is. This is what they want. That's why it's happening. It's not a mistake. People aren't fleeing climate change and just all ending up at the same place. This is exactly what they want. They are always happy to say it. It is a matter of you understanding what they're saying and then speaking out against it, refusing to comply, withholding your consent for them to continue doing these things. Today, we affirm our joint commitment to safe, orderly, and humane migration under the Los Angeles Declaration and other relevant multilateral frameworks. This includes assisting host communities and promoting migrant and refugee integration, providing protection to refugees, asylum seekers, and vulnerable migrants, strengthening asylum capacity in the region, expanding and promoting regular pathways for migration and protection, addressing the root causes and impacts of irregular migration and forced displacement, and collaborating to counter xenophobia and discrimination against migrants and refugees. So what they want to do is make permanent their immigration system the way it is now, and they want to be able to fund these immigrants' lifestyles, their housing, their health care. They want to supply them with jobs. Naturally, of course, they will register them to vote through the DMV or other means. They will cast their votes on these people's behalfs. And if you don't believe that, well, then why are they trying to make it legal for immigrants to vote? And they are trying to do that all over the place. Why do they refuse to clean their voter rolls? Maybe these things are connected. And they want to eliminate xenophobia and discrimination, which is anything anyone says that indicates they're not fully on board with this migration program. Now, more than ever, we need to identify and address the root causes of irregular migration and forced displacement. Mexico, the United States and Canada commit to supporting countries across the Western Hemisphere to create the conditions to improve quality of life, especially in marginalized communities that are vulnerable to both forced internal and regional migration and displacement. 
To that end, we will continue to work together and with our respective private sectors to promote responsible business practices, implement obligations under the USMCA and international labor conventions, and cooperate to eradicate the use of forced and child labor in our supply chains. Oh, yes, sure. That's exactly what you're trying to do. It would be interesting to see them highlight where in the United States forced labor and child labor is happening. Oh, but it's in our supply chains, so it could be happening anywhere and it benefits us. Is that what they're saying? So the forced labor and the child labor is somewhere in our supply chain and the people who set up those supply chains are going to eradicate it. Okay, I got it. Makes total sense. Health. Trilateral health cooperation will focus on launching an updated North American plan for animal and pandemic influenza, the NAPAPI, to improve prevention, preparedness, agility, and to provide rapid response to health emergencies in North America, because surely there's more on the way. The North American Health Security Working Group will develop and launch a new revised NAPAPI as a flexible, scalable, and cross-sectoral platform to strengthen regional prevention, preparedness, and response to a broader range of health security threats that include influenza and beyond. As we emerge from the acute phase of the COVID-19 pandemic, we also recognize that resilient health systems, including a strong health workforce, are the foundation upon which effective pandemic preparedness and response will be built. We will continue efforts to build stronger and more resilient health systems that meet the broad range of health needs in our countries. And naturally, what could be better than a multi-country approach to handling pandemics? It sounds like just a smaller version of that thing they were trying to do in the WHO not all that long ago when they attempted to bring all of the countries in the world under that umbrella so the WHO could simply declare a global pandemic and then create a range of policy responses and every country around the world would have already committed to abiding by all of those responses. And those responses would include things like lockdowns and medical mandates and vaccine passports and the rest of it. Because the only way to respond to a pandemic is just like the only way to respond to climate change or the only way to respond to cyber attacks or migration crises or the rest of it. It's by everyone doing the exact same thing. The thing that is recommended by the people at the World Economic Forum and the UN and the WHO and the WTO and the banks and the CDC. And you get the picture. Everyone simply needs to do the same thing all the time. And if we can't get it to a full global level right now, at least we can make it everyone with North American DNA. Now, is there any way that North American DNA, that concept could be used to create racial and ethnic division in the future and thereby create an underclass somehow? Yeah, there probably is. North American DNA. Wow. Regional security. Mexico, the United States and Canada will focus on strategies to bolster our shared continental security against domestic, regional and global threats, including cyber threats. 
security cooperation will continue to abide by our common understanding that respect for human rights and the rule of law contribute to a more secure North America, especially when only the people who disagree with us are subject to the rule of law and only the people agree with us are treated in a way that respects their human rights. See, they can be all for these things for themselves. And you must be for all these things, too. It's in your North American DNA. Our security cooperation includes actions to disrupt criminal actors and associated crimes across our shared borders, including money laundering, child sexual exploitation, firearms and human trafficking. Now, wait a second. All of those are conspiracy theories. Oh, not firearms. Everybody knows that firearms are very, very bad. But money laundering, child sexual exploitation, and human trafficking, those are conspiracy theories. All of those are QAnon, and that means that we can never, ever discuss them, ever. We are also taking a consistent approach to the collection, use, processing, retention, and protection of passenger name record data to strengthen our shared security perimeter and the safety of our citizens, including advocating for the global adoption of standards and recommended practices of the International Civil Aviation Organization on PNR data. Okay, so they all share a database on who travels where. Why is our government signing us up for doing that with foreign countries? We will continue our North American drug dialogue and further advance our cooperative international efforts to address the growing global synthetic drug threat as the United States takes the chair in 2023. We will enhance trilateral work to address the use of precursor chemicals in the production of illegal substances in North America and to disrupt drug trafficking, as well as strengthen public health approaches to prevention, harm reduction, treatment and recovery. Well, that sounds like a pharma industry problem. Are they going to target pharma? No, of course not. Are they going to target drug trafficking? Well, why not just shut down the border? So the answer there, too, is. Of course not. What are they going to do? As both natural and human-induced hazards and disasters increase risks to vulnerable populations, we will continue to work together to share training and best practices to keep our people safe and address emergencies, including natural and other disasters. Recognizing the differentiated impact disasters have on women and girls, we aim to integrate a gender perspective in these efforts really amazing. How do natural disasters have a greater impact on women and girls? Also, isn't it odd how they brag about the increase in natural disasters or the potential for an increase in natural disasters unless you give them all of the power? And isn't it odd that natural disasters are the ones that people believe should not be blamed on anyone? even for the response by the government. And isn't it odd how they continue to try to convince us that COVID-19 was a natural disaster. Therefore, they don't have any responsibility for it. Their only role was the response and the response was great. And if you don't believe it's great, well, okay, maybe you have a point, but they were trying their best at the time. So you can't blame them then either. 
And the thing is, if you're going to disagree with that, if you're going to argue with that, if you're going to make things hard for them, well, all you're doing is increasing the chances of another natural disaster. Looking forward, the commitments made during this summit are rooted in a shared vision for a more equitable, just, inclusive, resilient, secure, and prosperous North America, and a shared responsibility to achieve more equitable outcomes responsive to the needs and aspirations of our citizens. As we work to implement these commitments in the upcoming year, we seek to model a democratic and sustainable path based on trust to promote inclusive prosperity and security. Mexico, the United States, and Canada look forward to building on this progress at the 11th NALS to be hosted by Canada. And they actually write it out, NALS XI, NALS 11. They're branding it like the Super Bowl. And so they're trying to institute a North American union. And Tucker Carlson reported on this last week. Basically, the idea is that they come up with all of these agenda items that promote the global regime's agenda. And the countries involved are committed to implementing these policies on the basis of these agreements and not on the basis of the Constitution or what the citizens of these countries actually want. They say that everything is in service of the citizens. They believe, or at least pretend to believe, that these solutions are going to improve the lives of everyone. Everyone just needs to do what they say and their lives will be improved. And if you don't do what they say, well, then you don't have any human rights. And people pretend it's all a conspiracy, of course, but it's not a conspiracy. And we can even see it already happening just within the United States. States like Oregon and Washington, for instance, have agreed through their implementation of some sort of Western States Union that they will all follow California's environmental policies. So California, with the most fake and corrupt elections in the country, perpetually installs regime candidates throughout their government, most of them with little D's next to their name, but they're totally okay if little R's sit next to their name too, as long as they are promoting the regime's agenda. And those unelected officials in California, some of them actually being unelected bureaucrats, people that don't even have to face fake elections, just appointed by the people who were installed in fake elections. Those bureaucrats create policy and now citizens from other states have to live under the policies instituted by these unelected officials appointed by politicians installed by the regime. Their agenda calls for full implementation of all of this everywhere. And since they can't actually implement all of this everywhere through normal processes, they need to create a workaround where one policy set somewhere then applies to all of these other places that have agreed to abide by whatever new policies are set. Now, changing subjects without a segue, there was a short Twitter files release from Lee Fang of The Intercept. Now, The Intercept is a media organization funded by eBay billionaire Pierre Omidyar, who is one of the most prolific globalist philanthropists. And so, as you might imagine, Lee Fang is excellent at producing limited hangouts for the regime 
disseminating information that we all pretend is brand new a year or a year and a half or two years after independent journalists have already discussed each of these issues at length. But here is his Twitter files drop new piece from the Twitter files, how the pharmaceutical industry lobbied social media to shape content around vaccine policy. The push included direct pressure from Pfizer partner BioNTech to censor activists demanding low cost generic vaccines for low income countries. In 2020, it was clear that the pandemic would require rapid innovation. Early on, there was a push to make the solution equitable, an international partnership to share ideas, technology and new forms of medicine to rapidly solve this crisis. But global drug giants saw the crisis as an opportunity for unprecedented profit. Behind closed doors, pharma launched a massive lobbying blitz to crush any effort to share patents and IP for new COVID-related medicine, including therapeutics and vaccines. Bio, the lobby group that represents biopharma, including Moderna and Pfizer, wrote to the newly elected Biden administration demanding the U.S. government sanction any country attempting to violate patent rights and create generic low-cost COVID medicines or vaccines. And he links to a piece of his from March 2021. That brings us to Twitter. The global lobbying blitz includes direct pressure on social media. BioNTech, which developed Pfizer's vaccine, reached out to Twitter to request that Twitter directly censor users tweeting at them to ask for generic low-cost vaccines. The attached email is all in German. Twitter's reps responded quickly to the pharma request, which was also backed by the German government. A lobbyist in Europe asked the content moderation team to monitor the accounts of Pfizer, AstraZeneca, and of activist hashtags like People's Vaccine. And Fang adds this email from Nina Morshauser, to some elements of Twitter and to some addressees who were redacted. She writes, We got contacted by BioNTech as well as the German Federal Office for Information Security for an online campaign targeting the pharmaceutical companies developing the COVID-19 vaccine is announced for tomorrow, Monday, 14 December, starting at 9 a.m. CET. Expected hashtags include hashtag join CTAP and hashtag people's vaccine. Could you support us and have an eye on the relevant hashtags and the following accounts at BioNTech underscore group at Pfizer at Pfizer underscore DE. That's Pfizer, Germany at Moderna underscore TX and at AstraZeneca. The authorities are warning about serious consequences of the action i.e. posts and a flood of comments, quote, that may violate TOS, end quote, as well as the, quote, takeover of user accounts are to be expected. Especially the personal accounts of the management of the vaccine manufacturers are said to be targeted. Accordingly, fake accounts could also be set up. The German authorities also refer to the source amongst others. It's a permissible campaign under which users may send an auto-populated tweet from a group called globaljustice.org. So they don't want people asking the vaccine manufacturers or the individuals who are executives at the vaccine manufacturers or somehow related 
to the vaccine manufacturers to create low cost generic alternatives that can be deployed in low income countries. So they're even targeting for censorship people who want more vaccines and just want them for low income countries at lower prices. Even that is disturbing to the pharma agenda. Fang goes on. The potential fake accounts that Twitter monitored for protesting Pfizer, these were real people. Here's one the Twitter team flagged for potential terms of use violations. I talked to Terry, a 74-year-old retired bricklayer in the UK on the phone, and he shares a tweet from this guy, Terry, who says, and he tags the individual's accounts here, Dear Albert Borla, Stefan Bansell, and Pascal Sorio, Nine out of 10 people in poor countries are going to miss out on a COVID-19 vaccine next year. Will Pfizer, BioNTech, Moderna, and AstraZeneca join CTAP to ensure that everyone everywhere can be safe? We need a people's vaccine. So they tried to claim that that was a fake account, and that's why it needed to be taken down for that tweet. Now, that tweet to me is extremely stupid. But I have no doubt that this communist was trusting the science and just simply a communist who believes he's doing the right thing by encouraging everyone in the world to get what is clearly a not safe and not effective vaccine. Fang goes on. It's not clear what actions Twitter ultimately took on this particular request. Several Twitter employees noted in subsequent messages that none of this activism constituted abuse but the company continued monitoring tweets. In a separate push, Pfizer and Moderna's lobbying group, Bio, fully funded a special content moderation campaign designed by a contractor called Public Good Projects, which worked with Twitter to set content moderation rules around COVID misinformation. Bio provided $1.275 million to the campaign, part of which is revealed through tax forms. The PGP campaign called Stronger helped Twitter create content moderation bots, select which public health accounts got verification and helped crowdsource content takedowns. So pharma lobbyists funded an effort to create content moderation bots that would censor whatever content was necessary while making sure that the public health mouthpieces of the pharma regime were verified and amplified. So not only can Twitter censorship be controlled through partnerships with government agencies, it can also be controlled by pharma lobbyist funded bots. Twitter was selling its ability to censor to corporate partners. And why is the ability to censor so valuable? The answer, of course, is obvious. They could have never accomplished all of this stuff without the censorship. Consider what that means when the content is of a financial nature and could swing financial markets. What about when the content controls the outcomes of elections? If you want to make sure that everybody is absolutely on the same page and prepared to act in the same way as the global regime's agenda demands, censorship is the way to get that done. Many of the tweets the bio-funded campaign focused on were truly unhinged misinfo, 
like claims that vaccines include microchips. But others who were targeted by the stronger campaign as they lobbied Twitter were more of a gray area, like vaccine passports and vaccine mandates, policies that coerce vaccination. And it really is odd how reporters like this who have been wrong about this stuff the entire time continue to think that certain claims are unhinged conspiracy theories, seeing what else has already come out. Now, I don't know if the microchip theory is right or not. I do know that the pharma companies won't share the ingredients of the vaccine, and they don't even have a package insert that comes with the doses of the vaccine. They're all just blank pages. The Moderna-Pfizer-funded campaign included direct regular emails with lists of tweets to take down and others to verify. Here's an example of those types of emails that went straight to Twitter's lobbyists and content moderators. Many focused on Zero Hedge, which was suspended. Here's the email. Hi, all. Please see attached for this week's misinfo report, along with our batch verification request. This week, we saw... People opposed to vaccines are capitalizing on the New York Times article about the CDC withholding vaccine information. The articles do not contain misinformation themselves, but are using the news to further prove the CDC is untrustworthy. So it's true that the CDC was withholding vaccine information, and it's true that the New York Times reported it. But if people talk about how the New York Times reported that the CDC is withholding vaccine information... And that fact alone leads people to distrust both the CDC and the vaccine. Well, then that article, that true fact has been misleading. It has led people to the wrong conclusion about this confirmed set of facts because it's OK for people to reach their own conclusions as long as they reach the right conclusions. If they reach the wrong conclusions, well, then they've been misled. And that must mean that misinformation popped up in the process somewhere. Another heavily trending article details a German health insurance company official who says their reports of healthcare visits for vaccine side effects do not match official reports of adverse events and that official reports may be severely undercounted. This article is difficult to fact check because it does note that this data includes any side effect, not just serious side effects. Please let me know if you have any questions. Thank you. So reporting about the underreporting of vaccine side effects is okay. But if you get the idea that the underreporting of vaccine side effects may indicate that there are more vaccine side effects than what's being reported, well, you've been misled. And so you must be censored. Fang writes, Notably, this massive push to censor and label COVID misinformation never applied to drug companies. When Big Pharma wildly exaggerated the risks of creating low-cost generic COVID vaccines, Stronger did nothing. The rules applied only to critics of industry. And he encloses a tweet from the pharma lobby from November 9th, 2022, that says the biopharma sector employs more than 900,000 workers and supports 4.4 million U.S. jobs. Those jobs would be at risk if the TRIPS waiver is extended to COVID-19 treatments. Read more about the real consequences of waiving commitments to protect IP. 
So if they provided a generic vaccine, all of those people would lose jobs. Therefore, they can't do it. And they're going to continue reaping massive profits. And then naturally, Lee Fang promotes his companion piece in Pierre Omidyar's The Intercept, and he promotes his Substack. That is what the Twitter files have basically turned into recently. Just all of these leftist, mainstream adjacent journalists revealing relatively little, but promoting themselves quite a lot. Now, let's stick with the topic of COVID for a little while longer. This is from the Washington Post on Friday afternoon. Extensive review affirms COVID booster is safe after system flagged risk. So you might have heard last week that they needed to investigate the vaccine, the bivalent booster. Maybe something was wrong with it. Maybe people really were collapsing from the vaccine. Well, let's see. A vaccine safety monitoring system in late November picked up a signal that the updated Pfizer coronavirus vaccine booster was possibly linked to an increased risk of strokes in people 65 and older. But a deep dive into several large databases failed to confirm the preliminary information, leading federal health officials to conclude the risk is extremely low and probably non-existent. Those officials said Friday. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, whose system detected the early signal, and the Food and Drug Administration, which also assesses vaccine safety, have decided there is no need to change the recommendation that everyone six months and older should stay up to date with their coronavirus vaccinations, including those five and older who are eligible for the updated booster, according to officials speaking on the condition of anonymity under ground rules set by the agencies. The early signal involved the bivalent booster, which targets the original virus and Omicron subvariants and became available starting in September, made by Pfizer and its German partner, BioNTech. It did not apply to Moderna's updated booster, officials said. Government vaccine safety experts have combed through databases containing millions of records in the United States and consulted with regulators in other countries, but have not found any indication that the statistical signal represents a clinical risk to patients. They said they would continue to analyze the data. So no problems there. They were worried just briefly about maybe people 65 and older. So they checked out some databases for a few hours or maybe even a day. And they came back and let everybody know everything's fine. Everything has always been fine. It's probably fine. At least I mean, We can't confirm any of the things that people are saying. We just can't confirm them, which means it's probably a non-existent problem or it's close enough to non-existent that we don't have to care. We can tell people that the problem is probably non-existent. And since they already want to say that and believe that having already injected themselves with our toxic experimental gene therapy, well, they'll believe it. No problem. Once again, the best possible solution is to trust the science. This is also from Friday in the Washington Post. This is by Leanna Wen, who was the woman who appeared constantly on CNN to tell us that the vaccinated need to be segregated. They need to lose different privileges in order to coerce them into getting the vaccine and You know, she loves masks. She loves lockdowns. She loved every bit of it. And she also has this way of talking where her words just continually end in a tiny groan. 
start with this first question that came into us. Whitney in New York asked, can we consider the pandemic over? Dr. Wen. Well, I would say it depends on who is asking and for what purpose. If we're asking, is the pandemic over for the purpose of understanding this as a policy issue, the answer is definitely not. We've seen that COVID has really surprised us thus far with new variants that have arisen, new surges, and we don't know what might come our way. There may be a variant in the future that evades the immunity provided by prior infection or vaccination. We need to be ready for that. And we don't know whether that's going to come our way or not. And so policymakers should not consider the pandemic should be over to be over. I really hope that Congress steps up and provide the Biden administration with what they need in terms of funding for new vaccines in the future, for testing, for treatments that we really need. But I would say if people are asking, is the pandemic over for them? I think there are many Americans who would say it already is in the sense that they have already returned to pre-pandemic normal. It's safe. They've already returned to the pre-pandemic normal. So many people know Leanna Wen as the crisis actor outside the hospital at the Boston Marathon. Some people know her as the former president of Planned Parenthood. And now she is just a TV doctor that says the science so that everyone can understand it. But here is her article in the Washington Post. We are overcounting COVID deaths and hospitalizations. That's a problem. Mm. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the United States is experiencing around 400 COVID deaths every day. Mm. At that rate, there would be nearly 150,000 deaths a year. But are these Americans dying from COVID or with COVID? Well, what a question. I think many of us were asking that question in, oh, uh, I don't know, April, May of 2020. That was a conspiracy theory back then. That was misleading back then. Now it's the science. Understanding this distinction is crucial to putting the continuing toll of the coronavirus into perspective. Determining how likely it is an infection will result in hospitalization or death helps people weigh their own risk. It also enables health officials to assess when vaccine effectiveness wanes and future rounds of boosters are needed. Two infectious disease experts I spoke with believe that the number of deaths attributed to COVID is far greater than the actual number of people dying from COVID. Wow. Robin Drettler, an attending physician at Emory Decatur Hospital and the former president of Georgia's chapter of Infectious Diseases Society of America, estimates that at his hospital, 90% of patients diagnosed with COVID are actually in the hospital for some other illness. Since every hospitalized patient gets tested for COVID, many are incidentally positive, he said. A gunshot victim or someone who has a heart attack, for example, could test positive for the virus, but the infection has no bearing on why they sought medical care. All of that was stuff we said in the late spring and summer of 2020, once it became overwhelmingly obvious in the data, in the evidence, that that is what was happening. All that had to happen was that you had to be in the hospital for something, be forced to take a COVID test that has a 90 plus percent 
false positive rate. And then you were a COVID hospitalization. And if you died at some point for whatever reason, including the hospital's protocol on COVID, which included remdesivir causing renal failure and then a ventilator that causes death, that's still a COVID death. Also, you could be diagnosed as positive COVID just simply for being diagnosed with likely COVID, which means that you exhibit any symptom associated with COVID. And since you're already in the hospital, that's a COVID hospitalization. If you die, that's a COVID death. All of that has always been true. And alongside that is the fact that these medical providers were paid extraordinary sums for more COVID cases, more COVID hospitalizations, and more COVID deaths. Dretler also sees patients with multiple concurrent infections. People who have very low white blood cell counts from chemotherapy might be admitted because of bacterial pneumonia or foot gangrene. They may also have COVID, but COVID is not the main reason why they're so sick. If these patients die, COVID might get added to their death certificate along with the other diagnoses. But the coronavirus was not the primary contributor to their death and often played no role at all. Again, this is something we have known the entire time. I believe it was August of 2020 that the New York Times published an article saying that 94% of COVID deaths occurred with an average of four serious comorbidities. But everyone went along pretending that that simply wasn't true because then they would have had to readjust their entire perspective on the very deadly pandemic. They would have had to doubt the little death counter, all the stats on the TV, and that might have made them doubt the media. And if the media was wrong and those numbers were wrong, well, then all of it's wrong. And then what? Oh, we're being lied to? Well, that would mean that all the conspiracy theorists were right and we can't have that. So let's just continue to play along and act as if none of this is true. Dretler is quick to add that the imprecise reporting is not because of bad intent. There is no truth to the conspiracy theory that hospitals are trying to exaggerate coronavirus numbers for some nefarious purpose. But he added, quote, Inadvertently overstating risk can make the anxious more anxious and the skeptical more skeptical. Well, yeah, lying about statistics, pretending that the statistics don't exist for two and a half years might be a problem. And what is the nefarious purpose they're talking about? The medical providers did receive federal COVID money for reporting more COVID cases, hospitalizations, and deaths. That is not a nefarious purpose. That is a direct incentive. And we're just supposed to pretend it's not true. Oh, this doesn't have that effect on people, not people in the medical profession, not doctors and people who own and run hospitals, even though we can see them on video talking about how profitable transgender surgeries for kids will be in the long run. Those videos are out there, but they would never emphasize profit for anything else. Certainly not the very deadly pandemic from which so many of them have gotten so spectacularly wealthy. Another infectious disease physician, Shira Daron, has been researching how to more accurately attribute severe illness due to COVID. After evaluating medical records of COVID patients, she and her colleagues found that use of the steroid dexamethasone 
a standard treatment for COVID patients with low oxygen levels was a good proxy for hospitalizations due to the coronavirus. If someone who tested positive didn't receive dexamethasone during their inpatient stay, they were probably in the hospital for a different cause. Now, there is some rationality to that. That actually makes much more sense than what we were previously doing, but that's not going to catch them all. They could probably apply 10 markers like that, 20 markers like that, and find a more accurate number. But as they do that, the numbers for COVID hospitalizations and deaths would decrease dramatically. So what is it going to mean in the future when all of this money was paid to these medical providers to treat COVID and their numbers weren't even close to accurate? Darone's work was instrumental to Massachusetts changing its hospitalization reporting a year ago to include both total hospitalizations with COVID and those that received dexamethasone. In recent months, only about 30% of total hospitalizations with COVID were primarily attributed to the virus. This tracks with Darone's experience at her hospital, Tufts Medical Center, where she also serves as hospital epidemiologist. Earlier in the pandemic, a large proportion of COVID-positive hospitalizations were due to COVID. But as more people developed some immunity through vaccination or infection, fewer patients were hospitalized because of it. During some days, she said, the proportion of those hospitalized because of COVID were as low as 10% of the total number reported. And the truth is they're probably lower than that. The other truth is, there is no evidence anywhere that people are developing immunity through vaccination. Determining the true number of hospitalizations from COVID has immediate practical purposes. It allows for better forecasting of hospital capacity, Darone told me. If our hospital beds are full and we attribute it to COVID, we might think that we'll get the beds back when the wave of infections is over. But if people are sick from other causes, the beds could stay full. Oh, yeah, as long as that's the only problem, as long as that's the only thing they do with their hospital bed statistics and they don't send them out to the media and tell everybody that hospitals are 97% full, they're almost over capacity due to COVID. If there's any outbreak, the hospitals are going to be forced to triage care just like they've done at well, zero points in the entire pandemic. And they use that stuff to justify mask mandates and vaccine mandates, even though neither of those things prevent the transmission of COVID at all. Darone acknowledges that there is a gray zone in the data in which COVID might not be the primary cause of death, but could have contributed to it. For instance, COVID infection could push someone with chronic kidney disease into kidney failure. She and her colleagues are collecting data on this as well. Yeah, for sure. It is definitely, definitely that and not the hospital protocol. But wait, doesn't remdesivir cause renal failure? Yes. What is renal failure? Renal failure or kidney failure is the condition when the kidneys do not function properly. Or as Leanna Wen says here, COVID. Both Drettler and Darone have faced criticism from people who say they are minimizing COVID. That is not at all their aim. They have taken care of COVID patients throughout the pandemic and have seen the evolution of the disease. Earlier on, COVID pneumonia often killed otherwise healthy people. That's, again, just patently not true. Today, most patients in their hospitals carrying the coronavirus are there for another reason. 
They want the public to see what they're seeing, because as Darone says, overcounting COVID deaths undermines people's sense of security and the efficacy of vaccines. And there it is, folks, your buried lead. They need to bring down the COVID numbers by now counting them correctly. Otherwise, people are going to think that the vaccines don't work. Overcounting the COVID numbers was good before because it made the disease scary. It made it so that everyone thought they needed these vaccines that don't work and aren't safe. But now overcounting makes people think that the vaccines don't work and aren't safe. So now we're just going to have to count the COVID numbers correctly, or at least, you know, a little more correctly. To be clear, if the COVID death count turns out to be 30% of what's currently reported, that's still unacceptably high. But that knowledge could help people better gauge the risks of traveling, indoor dining, and activities they have yet to resume. Well, what if it's 10%? What if it's 5%? Would the COVID numbers then be unacceptably high? Or would they just be totally on par with an average flu season? And speaking of which, where did the flu go while all those healthy people were dying from COVID? Since the tests that don't work can't tell the difference. Most importantly, knowing who exactly is dying from COVID can help us identify who is truly vulnerable. These are the patients we need to protect through better vaccines and treatment. So, whoopsie, we made a huge error. Yeah, it was something we did intentionally, but now we have realized that it's wrong because whereas before it was suiting our purposes, now it is working against our purposes. So we need to call out our prior error in a way that makes it seem like it was just a small mistake. We were doing our best. It didn't work quite as expected. And now we're going to switch policies so that people don't notice that the vaccine is making everything much, much worse. We're not going to change any policies at all because we don't have that option. That's not what the people at the top want. And the people at the top know that the only way to get us through poly crises like pandemics and cyber pandemics and problems with migration is to force everyone to be on the exact same page. These are global problems that require global solutions. And there are so many of them that interconnect that the only way we can fix any of them is to pretend to fix all of them. So thank goodness, all of the world's most wealthy and powerful people are getting together to decide how to fix everything for us. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. 
The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofi. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!